Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Onward, a study in the book of Acts. Together, we're learning how to live as an ordinary people, empowered to continue Jesus' mission. Thanks for listening. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. And if you're getting used to your Bible, it's in the last fourth of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're in the book of Acts these days. And we've named this series, this time in the book of Acts, Onward. Why? Because the book of Acts starts out by saying, in my last letter, which is the Gospel of Luke, I wrote down all that Jesus began to do it and teach. And now in this letter, I want to talk to you about what he's still up to in the world. And he's inviting us to continue in his mission with him. And so as you're turning there, if you don't already have a Bible, if you use one of the black Bibles, I think it's on page 8. Eight, five. Yeah, it's there on the screen. You can look it up. We're going to look at the first 22 chapters. <laughs> first 22 chapters. <laughs> first 22 verses. I'll spare you the whole 22 chapters thing. We're going to look at chapter four. Now, I've mentioned uh, this title uh, of the message comes from uh, chapter four, verse 13, with Jesus. But it also comes from our whole vision statement, our strategy, which is to do life together with Jesus, with one another, and with our community and world. But we've been reading a same sentence each week, and I want to put it on the screen and show it to you. Would you read it with me, in fact? An ordinary people empowered to continue Jesus' mission. And we've talked honestly about the fact that this mission is no small thing. And sometimes we feel so ordinary. But I want to remind you that Jesus changes lives, one life at a time, and he uses people. And here's the reminder, Romans 10, 13 through 14. I don't know about you, but I love knowing what's the, what's the goal. What am I aiming at? What does he want me to give my energy and my heart to? Here's the reminder. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? If you're here today and you trust in Jesus, someone told you. Someone pointed you to Jesus. You rubbed shoulders with someone in whom you saw the hope of Jesus that could be yours. And we want to be the kind of church that doesn't just keep that to ourselves, but we pass it on. But in case you haven't noticed, we don't live in a culture that's all jazzed about that all the time. I'm sure there's been ebbs and flows in our country where there's more of a welcome or more of an openness than others. But right now, it seems like it's more resistant than it is open. But there's still opportunities. They're just sometimes not as easy to see. And so here's the question I want to use today as we think about chapter 4. How do we, if you're following along, how do we courageously share Jesus in a resistant culture? How do we courageously share Jesus in a resistant culture? Now, I want you to know that this is as relevant for me this morning as I teach with you as any time. I don't know how to describe it, but on Monday, as I was studying this passage and getting ready to talk with you this Sunday, I had what I can only call is a drop in confidence. I've done this many times. I've taught, but this particular week, I remember thinking, oh, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what you want me to highlight. I don't know how you're going to work in people's lives. I don't want to get in the way. And there was just this, God, are you still wanting to work through me? And maybe you go through that, too. But this is a great passage to study if you're ever going through a drop in confidence or courage. 
because that's what these people saw in ordinary Peter and John. So I want to read uh, verses 1 through 22 uh, without very much comment. And then I want to share with you six things that I notice about Peter and John and how we can also have their courage. So here we go. Verse 1. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Let me just catch you up if you weren't here last week. Steve taught us how there was a lame man who had been healed in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He was invited to rise up and walk, and he did. And so now the crowd's gathering, and uh, the religious leaders are concerned. And so verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people. In other words, who, who was supposed to be teaching the people? The ones that were greatly disturbed. They were moving in on their territory. Proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. You know, sometimes, maybe they'll have some time to think about who they're messing with. Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been, here's the words, with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Evidently, the healed man is in the chambers too. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing, that's what they called it, from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Would you pray with me? Now, Lord, my confidence is in your ability. I praise you for your skill. I worship you for the way that you know how to speak to each one of us fluently. 
And I ask, Lord, that in your name and your authority, your power, your character, you would honor yourself today. In your name, amen. Okay, so here are six things that I want you to notice. And before I do that, though, most of us aren't used to this phrase, the Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin, however you pronounce it. And so let me just read to you what William Barclay describes about this group. The court before which Peter and John were brought in was the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jews. Even in Roman times, it had the right of arrest. The one thing it could not do was to pass the death sentence, except in the single case of a Gentile who trespassed on the inner courts of the temple. You may remember that's why they had to get the Romans help to crucify Jesus, because they did not have the power to kill him. The Sanhedrin had 71 members. The high priest was ex officio president. In the Sanhedrin, there were priests, practically all of whom were these people called Sadducees. Their one desire was to preserve the status quo uh, that their own power might not be lessened. There were also scribes who were the experts of the traditional law. There were Pharisees who were fanatics for the law. And there were elders who were the respected men in the community. When we read Peter's speech, it was spoken to an audience of the wealthiest most intellectual and most powerful people in the land. The Sadducees that are mentioned here were the wealthy aristocratic class. The whole matter with Peter and John annoyed them very greatly for two reasons. First, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead, the very truth the apostles were proclaiming. You may remember the Sadducees went and questioned Jesus about the resurrection, and he helped them see that they were totally missing the scriptures by not believing that. Second, just because they were wealthy aristocrats, they tried to keep on friendly terms with the Romans. They were collaborating with Rome in order that they might retain their wealth and comfort and prestige and power. The Roman government was very tolerant, but on pub, uh, public disorder, they were merciless. Now, Chuck Swindoll says, in order to get a feel for how tense this scene must have been, he says, to appreciate the pressure Peter and John faced, imagine two American high school educated, working class, regular Joes hauled before a joint session of Congress and the Supreme Court without the benefit of legal representation. But let me just give you something to imagine. I don't know who you respect most in this country. I don't know if it's a celebrity or a certain personage, but imagine sitting in front of a whole group of those people that are the most respected in the United States. And now they're telling you, stop doing this, stop talking. And you're standing there vulnerable. What would you do? Those are moments of truth. And Peter and John found out by experience what God could do in them, through them, and with them. And so, if you will, follow along with me. Notice six things that stand out in this passage. Again, there's probably more, but I notice six. First, notice the reception they receive in these verses. Some people believe and some don't. Notice the reception they receive in these verses because some believe and some don't. Why do I bring this up? There is this idea that if we just say the right things, if we just put on the most godly charm we can, if we just get everything just so, everybody will believe. That's not true. Everybody didn't believe Jesus, and everybody didn't believe his followers. 
He had this way of dividing the crowd. Now, why didn't some of the people believe? A lot of times we think unbelief is because we're missing belief. Actually, unbelief is not because you're missing something. It's because you're holding on to something. And what's going on here is the Sanhedrin does not want to let go of their power, their comfort, their security, their wealth, because Jesus is a threat to all that. Therefore, they've got to stop this thing. And so they try and shut that down. But notice that while that's going on, while they seize Peter and John, while they're against and trying to stop it, they can't stop it. Thousands of people believe. And even that day, as Peter and John had been teaching in the courtyard, people, as they went to jail that night, said, I believe in Jesus as a result of what you just shared with me. Jesus was still on the move. And it was both and. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time trusting Jesus with the results when I share. Sometimes I don't understand why I share with one person and they don't believe and someone else does. I, I don't understand the mysteries. Someone once said the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Those are the things I don't understand. All I know is the results are not up to me. The results are up to God. The sharing is the part he invites me to do. Second thing I notice is the respect they show when questioned and threatened. The respect they show when questioned and threatened. Um, I, I want you to notice that um, the way that the Sanhedrin talks to them is not patently obvious by our English reading. So would you mind reading verse 7 with me where they start to put the screws to Peter and John? Would you read it with me? They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, what you may not be able to see, and I wasn't either until I read this, is that in the Greek language that's written, the word order is significant. The last word in the Greek language is you, as a way of saying something like this. Who gave you, people like you, the right to do this? We're in charge here. By what power or name do you come prancing into the temple courts? That's the whole tone. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when that happens to me and I'm treated rudely, I, I respond in kind. That is not how Peter and John respond. You'll notice that they have a respect for authority. Friends, listen to me. This is so important. If we do not have respect for authority, we do not deserve respect from other people. We have got to show that. While sometimes, even if we have to disagree, you'll notice that they're very respectful where do I get that? Rulers and elders of the people. They start by addressing them respectfully. And then they say, look, if you're asking us, if this is the question, then here's the answer. And even when they say, you crucified him, but God raised him. What they're saying is, even what you thought you were doing that was the right thing, you need to know God did something bigger than your greatest mistake. So just know, and they spoke respectfully. And I'm really thankful for that. They get questioned. Later, they get threatened. Threatened several times. I don't know about you, but when that happens, sometimes the stuff that comes out of me, I really need God to control that. Third, the message they share is God's raised Jesus, and he's alive. God's raised Jesus, and he's alive. I also, in my notes, just wrote, he's Lord. Notice this was a common theme. This is what galled the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. Stop talking about the resurrection. Stop it. That's what they wanted to do. They couldn't stand. They hated hearing about that. 
But notice verse 33 in chapter 4, if you just turn over to that part. With great power, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. This is a great thing. This was the message. Why? Friends, if Jesus died on the cross for you and me, but he did not rise again, if God did not raise him from death, we are the most of all people to be pitied. We have no hope. We're still in our sins. But if God raised him from the dead, then that means that not only can he raise him, his son from the dead, but he's the first of many that God will raise from the dead of all who look to his son in faith. Now notice the next thing, the name they proclaim, the name they proclaim, only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can save you. Would you mind reading uh, the second gray box there, verse 12 with me? Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I want you to know this. If you think this was a popular message, then and it's not a popular message now, it's always been an unpopular message. When you think about the United States being as pluralistic as it ever has been, people are saying, well, wait a second. That is so exclusive to say that he is the only way. This is the party line in our country. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. And what happens when people say that to us? We immediately go, oh, maybe it is exclusive. Maybe there are other ways to God. We, we get all like this. Friends, here's what you need to know. Jesus proved that he was the only way to God by the way he died and by the way he rose again and by the way he ascended and even now by the way he's working in Peter and John. Now, I read this this week and I want to share it with you because this may just give you one extra perspective that maybe no one's ever shared with you. Tim Keller says this, well-meaning people say this to me relatively often. They say, I just don't think you have to believe in Jesus to be saved. I believe all good people can find God. When you say, oh, I don't believe Jesus is the only way. I believe all good people can come. What you're really saying is the good people find God and the bad people do not. In your effort to be more inclusive by saying all good people can find God, you've just left me out because I'm a moral failure. If you say, don't talk to me like that. <clears throat> I know my own heart. I wonder then if you really know yours. In your effort to say, I think all good people can come, you have set up again a way of salvation. The good people are in and the bad people are out. You just left me out. In your effort to be inclusive, you are more exclusive. What if Jesus is not one teacher among many who shows you how to be good, but he came and he was good for you and he paid the penalty for your being bad? If that's the case, then through Jesus Christ, not only the good can come, but the bad can come. It's not the good are in and the bad are out. It's the humble are in and the people who know they're not good and need grace are in, but the proud are out. In both cases, whether we make our claim or they make their claim, somebody is out. In both cases, it's exclusive, but the gospel is the most inclusive exclusivity in the world. The most inclusive possible way of salvation is to say, come to Jesus. He has done it 
all for you. It is the greatest news we have to share. We cannot be intimidated by people say, stop saying he's the only way. Because you know why we can't stop saying it? Because he's the only way. And when you know his heart, and when you say that in a humble tone, it sounds totally different. Notice next the courage they have. Though unschooled, and ordinary, though unschooled and ordinary. This is found in verse 13. Would you read it with me out loud after you get done writing unusually long words in your blanks? <laughs> when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They were unschooled ordinary. That doesn't mean they hadn't gone to any school. It doesn't mean they were dumb. It means they hadn't been to rabbinical school like all of their listeners. And so these listeners looked down at them because they thought, how do they know the Bible like this? They just threw in Psalm 118, verse 22. Last time we heard that verse thrown at us was from Jesus. How do they know that Old Testament prophecy is about the Messiah. Where did they get that learning? There is no explanation for the sense of confidence they're speaking in right now. That can't come from them. That comes from outside them. Where is that? And they, they were astonished. They weren't in the mood for being astonished, by the way. They were in the mood for being annoyed. And they were astonished and they took note. That means across the ticker of their mind, they went, huh. Huh. Now, I love how some of the other Bible paraphrases and translations say it. J.B. Phillips says, when they saw the complete assurance of Peter and John. Then the Passion Translation says, they began to understand the effect Jesus had on them simply by spending time with him. If you're following along the impression they make, it's clear that they have been with Jesus. I love what Kent Hughes says. He says, what the Sanhedrin did not perhaps understand was that the apostles were still companions of Jesus. They were indwelt with the Holy Spirit and with Christ now. Their Lord was saturating their emotions, compelling their wills, energizing their bodies so that the Sanhedrin was seeing not only them, but Jesus. Not only that, but Peter and John, filled with the Holy Spirit, were in constant communication with their Lord. This is the good news of what Jesus can do in our lives because he died, rose again, has ascended, and is at the right hand of God. And now he's called us to continue this mission with him. I um, first noticed Acts 4.13 in a profound way about 35 years ago when I was a youth pastor. You know how you read, maybe you've read it before, but it doesn't stand out like it does when someone else points it out. Or maybe when you're reading by yourself some morning, all of a sudden God just lets you see something. Well, anyway, I was at a conference and at that time, the United States Senate had a chaplain named Richard Halverson. 
He was, at that time, the, the pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., and he was a tremendous guy. And I got to hear him for about an hour, and in it, he said that he learned his philosophy of ministry from Jesus. One day when he was reading the Gospels, Mark 3.14, this verse jumped out at him. And here's what it says on the screen. And Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might, what's the phrase, friends? Be with him. And he might send them out to preach. And so this whole idea, the reason why he called them is that they might be with him. He said, I noticed Mark 3.14, and then I noticed one day in Acts 4.13, and I remember he used his fingers. He said the numbers were kind of inverted, 3.14, 4.13. He said, then I noticed. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And he said, that day, I discovered the wonder of with. He said, as you spend time with Jesus, something rubs off. He said, so it showed me that I needed as a pastor and as a regular Christian to learn how to be with Jesus before I was ever with someone else. And that as I would be with Jesus, even when I was with someone else, then there was an opportunity for them to experience Jesus with me. And then he talked about ways to share Jesus by being with Jesus. And so, friends, I want to talk to you about how can you and I have the courage of Peter and John? The secret is, are we with Jesus? Now, here's why I bring this up. I was thinking about some of the prayers I pray and some of the prayers we more commonly pray. Here's the more common prayer. Lord, be with me. And I hope no one hears me say that's a bad prayer. It's a great prayer. But if that's our only prayer, what that means is, Lord, you come to where I am, and in ways, if we're not careful, you adjust to me. But when you begin to pray, Lord, let me be with you in this situation. Show me how to do this with you and not just for you. Show me how to be in sync with you. Show me how to do this. Everything changes. And this is the lesson that God's been teaching me for a number of years now, but I still don't have it all the time. But when I do, I've noticed there's a big difference. And so first thing, how we can be, have Peter and John's courage. Uh, before I share this, let me just say that I found this verse this week. Can I cheat and go ahead a few chapters? So this Peter guy that we're listening to talk, if you don't know the whole story, you need to know that a few months before he had really messed up. He denied Jesus three times. So when the pressure was on, when the screws were put to him before, he goes, I don't know him. I only say that because if you set out to share Jesus, you may be surprised that there are moments when you back down. You may be surprised by your lack of courage sometimes, and you may be walking around, even while I'm talking about this subject right now, being overwhelmed with failure or a sense that he can't use you anymore because you back down. It's not true. Peter learned from that. And Jesus said, I still want you to share me with other people. And now Peter is learning how to depend on the Holy Spirit. And he's learning how to do things instead of in his own power, instead of without Jesus, with Jesus. And it's altogether different. So there's a verse that I found this week when I was reading in Acts 10, 25 and 26. Here it is. I love this verse. 
So Peter is asked to come to a man, a Roman man named Cornelius, to share what about Jesus, because this man had a vision where he says, go get this guy named Peter, bring him, he has something to tell you. So when Peter walks in the door, Cornelius fell at his feet to worship him. But Peter pulled him up to his feet, pulled him to his feet and said, stand up, for I'm only a man and no different from you. What's he saying? I'm ordinary too. He's in the ordinary people using business. He'll work through you too. This isn't, this isn't Christian elites, Christian special people and Christian unspecial people. We're all ordinary until the touch of God changes us. And so here's the first thing. We can be with Jesus even more since he rose again. We can be with Jesus even more since he rose again. So I was imagining some of us are going like this. Well, that's great for Peter and John. They just happened to get selected and spend three years with Jesus, you know, getting to be with him all the time. Must be nice to see Jesus. And this week when I was studying this, I thought to myself, there's some limitations when Jesus was here in a body. He actually said in John 16, 7, look, if I don't go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit to live in you. So it's to your advantage that I go away. Because when I do, I'll send the Holy Spirit to live in you and you'll be able to know me and be with me in ways like you never imagined before. Here's what I'm saying. When Peter and John were with Jesus and he was in the body, if they had a question for Jesus, he usually had people around him. So they would have had to go, excuse me. And they had to wait. They had to uh, sometimes not know, although they had advantage of seeing him, as Steve said last week, we live in a naturalistic mindset sometimes where we only think that what we can see is real. Jesus is even more real now that he's at the right hand of God by his Holy Spirit if he reveals himself to you. That means that there's never a moment that you can't be with Jesus. There is never a moment that you can't have immediate companionship with Jesus. Every moment you walk through, for this I have and so I suddenly realized, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I can be with Jesus now. And that's not just for Peter and John. Notice this too, that it's of the resurrection. Someone asked me this week um, by social media this question. What does the resurrection mean for us today? So here's some of the answer I gave them and see if this is helpful. First, that Jesus is the son of God he claimed to be and his word and his character can be trusted. A number of times he predicted, I'll be killed and I'll be raised to life. And he came through big time. Second, it means that his sacrifice for our sin um, when he died on the cross in our place has been accepted and validated by God so we can be completely forgiven. It means Jesus, our Lord, is alive and on the move and able to help us in our time of need by his Holy Spirit. And it also means that all who trust in Jesus will one day be raised to life and given brand new, indestructible bodies to be with him forever. We have hope, friends. Charles Spurgeon said, life without Jesus is a hopeless end. Life with Jesus is an endless hope. All because of the resurrection. Notice the next thing is that Jesus gives us new, a new name and identity which secures us. Jesus gives us a new name and identity which secures us. I've had the opportunity in the last six months with Mike O'Shea in our church uh, to meet with about 80 um, different community leaders, men and women in our community, 
And uh, through two different rounds, we've been studying this book called Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. It's about how we understand our work and our faith in the same way. Tricky subject. But Tim Keller writes some beautiful things. And one of the discoveries we discussed this week is that if you want to make a name for yourself, you will always be insecure if it's up to you. If you decide to make a name for yourself by your job, by your looks, by your money, by any other kind of human performance, you will always find someone who's better than you, bigger than you. You will always be insecure. But the other way you can get a name is to be given one. And if you're given Jesus' name, then now he who knew you at your worst knew you and loved and accepted you and gave his life for you and now wants to live in you. Nothing can shake you when you really understand and let that soak in. And so what began to just breathe life in me again was the fact that Jesus has given me his name, not that I deserve it. He's given me a security, not that I deserve it. But that means that now, because he has his name on me, his power, his authority, I can operate differently. I don't have to constantly be insecure. Sometimes I still fall into that, but this new name secures us. Revelation 22, 4 says, he will write his name on their foreheads. Now, notice this. The Holy Spirit gives the words and wisdom we need. The Holy Spirit gives the words and the wisdom we need. Jesus promised this to his apostles, his disciples, and his followers in Matthew 10. Um, look at what he says. Now remember, it is I who send you out, even though you feel vulnerable as lambs going into a pack of wolves. So be as wise as serpent, yet as innocent as doves. Be on your guard, for there will be those who will betray you before their religious councils and brutally beat you with whips in their public gatherings. And because you follow me, they will take you to stand trial in front of rulers and even kings as an opportunity to testify of me before them and the unbelievers." And so when they arrest you, don't worry about how to speak or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will give you at that very moment the words to speak. If you, it won't be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father repeatedly speaking through you. He says this also in Luke 21. Look at how he says it. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict so if you're following along, the Holy Spirit gives the words and wisdom we need. And again, just I've seen that. Have you ever had that happen? Sometimes you walk away from a conversation with someone and you go, I, I, don't, I can't believe the words that came out of my mouth. And some people have come back later and said to me, maybe to you too, what you said at the time, I didn't understand, but it makes sense to me now. That was all because Jesus knew exactly what they needed to hear, even if I didn't. Notice one more thing. We can answer respectfully about the hope we have. We can answer respectfully about the hope we have. Peter, years later, after this encounter with the Sanhedrin, would write a couple letters, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. In 1 Peter, he's writing to us, other believers. And he says, I want to tell you something I've been learning about how to share Jesus. And here it is, 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. He says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. He's quoting scripture. But in your hearts, but in your hearts, revere 
Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. In other words, don't be hypocritical so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, if you have a moment, can I just invite you to turn your notes over? How do we do this? Here's two things he says that I have found to be absolutely helpful. Notice how he says first, revere Christ as Lord. The New International used to say it this way, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, no one else can decide for you who Jesus is going to be. Is he going to be the Lord of your life? Is he going to be the one that controls you, fills you? If you'll set him apart, how do we do this in prayer? For me, I just started going, Lord, I have a choice today. I want you to be the Lord of my life each day, including today. Show me how to be led by you, to be shapeable, leadable, teachable, but I'm trusting you. Be the Lord of my life. Second thing is he says, always be ready. Now, how do we always be ready? I think we regularly pray for opportunities and conversations. Look, I remember when I started learning this in high school, I, I went in front of the mirror in the bathroom and I just started going, Lord, I just want to have a conversation with you. I've never lived today, but today is an opportunity for me to trust you as the Lord of my life. I sometimes still take over control. I know that. Help me. I want to set you apart as the Lord of my life today. Second thing is, there's a school that I'm going to where there's not a lot of people that are interested, but I know that there are some. Would you open conversations? Would you open discussions? If they happen, make them so obvious I can't miss it. I'll try not to duck it. I'll try not to back down. But show me how to be respectful and show me how to mention you. The thing as I was preparing this week that hit me is it's been a while since I've said Jesus to many people. I've noticed that I've kind of pulled back. I don't want to do that. He's the only thing I have to share with people that'll last forever. He's the only one that's done what he's done for me. And I want him to do that for other people. And so, as I think about all this, can I just bring it down to one last question? Where and or with whom do I need courage to share Jesus? Where or with whom do I need courage to share Jesus? And if it helps you to put your notes away while I talk to you a few more moments, that's fine. But here's what I want you to think about with me, if you would. Is there a place that you go all the time where you're likely to meet some people that may not yet believe or know Jesus? I'm not asking you to go in there and take over. I'm simply asking, is the Lord putting someone on your mind? In the last service, someone told me that they, they always think of the people they meet at the gym. When I was in high school, I told you that it was the high school I went to, but also the job. I worked at a grocery store. And so I started praying about the people I knew there. Uh, it might be your neighborhood. I've noticed that I have not been praying for many opportunities to share Jesus in my neighborhood, and Jesus is wanting to change that. But when I was in high school, I told you I'd pray those prayers in the morning, and there was one conversation that I've never forgotten. I told you that both at high school and at work, I prayed for those relationships, so there was one guy that was at both. He went to high school with me, and he also worked with me, and whenever he saw me with my Bible at work during break, he teased me. He mocked me. 
He wasn't harsh, but he just made jokes all the time. So I thought, he's resistant. So one day, I thought, I prayed that morning, and I thought, I'm going to wear this shirt that says King's Kid. In those days, making T-shirts was a big deal. So I wore one, and I thought, if anybody asks me, I'm just going to hand them my New Testament and show them a verse to read. I don't know if anybody will. But anyway, so that day, my friend Alan saw me, and he goes, King's Kid, what in the world does that mean? So I just said, hey, read it for yourself. So I handed him the New Testament, and I thought he was going to say, no thanks. For, but I noticed that when I went to talk to another friend, he was still reading. The bell rings to start class, and he hands it back to me and says, can you get me one of these? I said, you bet. He started reading the New Testament, and somewhere between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he met Jesus. I don't know where he is today, but I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to share with one other person. And I'm praying that he's doing that with someone else. So who is it? So let me just close now as we get ready to sing. Last week, something special happened in our church. If you weren't here, when Steve taught on healing, it was such a helpful message. And he said, we're gonna invite our prayer team down as we sing this last song. If you know you need physical healing or you want prayer for someone who does, please come down. We'll pray. We want to pray together. And so I bet somewhere between 75 and 100 people either came down front or asked the elders in the prayer room to anoint them with oil. And I don't know what Jesus is going to do with all that, but what I sensed was is that the Lord has been giving us a greater sense of our desperate need for God to work through our church. Friends, I don't have it in me by myself. Unless I'm filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit and let Jesus be Lord, I can't be with other people and then be able to see Jesus. But if we will be with Jesus together, then when we're with other people in our community world, the chances of them seeing Jesus go up. So I know you could pray by yourself and I know it took a lot of courage for some of you to come forward but I want to just invite you. If you need prayer this week, either for physical healing or for someone that you know you need to share Jesus with and you need courage, or you've got a situation in the last service, someone said, I'm under serious pressure right now, financially, emotionally, in our family. If that's you, whatever, we just want to learn how to call on the name of the Lord together. Because here's how you and I can be with Jesus by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, reading Jesus' words, and by the people of God. We are the body of Christ, and we get to be with Him. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.